welcome to my dad's podcast. My blackest fan is national. Follow him on Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to My Black is Transnational. I am your host, Dr. Kalechi Day Lambis, and I'd like to thank you all for joining me. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, please feel free to rate, review, and definitely subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. Um, you can access me um, and the show on different podcast listening apps. So Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This show is also available, so I encourage you to subscribe, um, and your feedback is definitely most important. Now, if you've been here from the get-go, I just want to let you know that we're almost done with season one of My Black is Transnational. We're about 16 episodes in, and I've got a couple more left before we wind down season one for the summer. And I want to thank you all who have been listening to me and listening to this show since the ground um, beginning, uh, the groundbreaking, I should say. Uh, thank you so much. For joining me on this ride and, and and just sticking with me and for those of y'all who are new listeners you can always catch up to the show and listen to past episodes on your on those podcasts that i already mentioned so follow me on instagram at black transnational underscore you can also follow me on twitter at mbi transnational i haven't tweeted anything yet and i know this is going to be the service to one of my homies who encouraged me to get the twitter account Sis, I'm going to do something. I've been slacking, but I promise you I'm going to actually start using that account much more. And then you can also email me at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. If you just want to email me, send me something, send me a message, some kudos, or you have some beef, or you just have some words for me that you may not want to say, um, or uh, Instagram or Twitter or wherever, email me. All right. Okay. Now that we've gotten those formalities out the way want to talk about today's episode. So today I'll be having on a really, really good friend of mine. We're, we're going back to interviews. I just want to mention that because I know the past couple episodes have just been me and you. But now that we've had that time together, um, it's time for us to go back to our interview. So I have a special guest who will be joining us, a really good friend of mine, Dr. Dade Ilungatishwaka, who is a professor at the University of West Florida in Pensacola and also a visiting professor at Columbia University in New York City. Man, when I tell you this transnational journey um, started with me and him, um, that's the, the God honest truth. Uh, Dr. Ilunga Shishwaga has been my guy since day one, um, just from our graduate school years, and, and he's been a, a long time good friend, almost family, if, and if, if that's the better word. Um, when it comes to just my my entire journey as a professional upcoming um, scholar in this in this field. So what we're going to talk about is the French African immigrant experience. I think sometimes when we talk about the the black immigrant or the African immigrant, if we're not including the diaspora, we don't really talk about the French speaking ones. And I don't we don't talk too much about the Haitians and, and other people who may have uh, francophonic um, backgrounds as far as their country's vernacular. Uh, and language. 
So we're going to talk about what that experience is like being a transnational from a French-speaking country because I am, I'd be, it'd behoove me to not mention the language barrier and how that plays a role as far as the immigrant experience, um, especially when you are considered a Black immigrant and how that plays a role as far as acculturating and assimilating, not just being um, a Black person, but being a Black person who has to deal with language barriers and may not necessarily have come from a country where English is the native tongue. And what does that do as far as just your process? And what does that do as far as your transnationalism? How more, much more does one have to rely on the community that's created here in the United States in order to be able to sustain culture, to be able to um, sustain identity, continue your cultural practices, and remain transnational? So Dade and I talk about a lot of things in this conversation. Um, it's a great interview. Um, and I definitely encourage you all to check out his work. He's, he's currently working on issues related to stroke. Uh, we've published some papers together. I'll make sure to share his information on the info for this episode. So if you want to just look him up, Google him. Um, he's done a lot of good work and he's going to continue to do some good work. We've done some good work together. So I'm very excited to have you on. I could not do this podcast and complete season one without having him on. So I'm very happy that he actually got to join us for this show. So I think I've shared a lot of words and I'll stop here and we'll transition to the interview. So without further ado, here's my talk with Dade Lungashi Shwata. Okay, everyone, welcome to My Black is Transnational. Today we have a special guest on the show, a very, very good friend of mine, honestly, one of the founders of this whole thing that we started, uh, been with me since the beginning, Dr. Dade Lungashi Swaka, um, my brother from another mother, from another country. Uh, welcome on the show, bro. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ida Lambert, for uh, inviting me. I'm really honored to be on your show. Man, you, you ain't got to call me Dr. Ida Lambert. We on a podcast, man. Like, <laughs> you me, bro. We, I mean, I yeah, know we're official, but we're not that official right now, man. So um, it, it's, it's, it's just an honor to have you here, like I mentioned, uh, for those who are listening, we started this, when I, this whole transnational idea started between Dade and me, just in a conversation we were having at the University of Illinois when I worked at the Multicultural Health Center. And uh, we were just talking, we were just talking about our interests as far as um, African immigrants and just some of the, the interesting things that we do and the things that we found in common. Um, him being from you know his country, which he'll tell you about, and then me being from Nigeria and just those similarities and we just said, you know, let's let's just let's let's look 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 into this. Let's let's see what's up. And and here right. we are. And you know, we've kind of taken off with this research. We've published papers together. We've written a book chapter together. And there's so many right. more things to come. So that's just an introduction, right? So if you can give me a couple of minutes to just introduce yourselves to the listeners about, you know, who you are, where you're from and anything else you want to share. Right. Thank you so much again. So, yes, uh, my name is Dode Ilunga Chiswaka, and uh, I am originally from the Republic Democratic of the Congo. And uh, I actually am the, an assistant professor at the University of West Florida. I am also a uh, visiting assistant professor at Columbia University in uh, the Division of Stroke. So, and uh, my research interest is just like Dr. Ibe Lambert uh, said, uh, is lying within the realm of immigrant health, um, 
transnational transnationalism, trying to understand uh, the impact of uh, the connection that people maintain to their motherland when it comes to uh, their health. So that's uh, pretty much it. Yeah. And so and we're both from the University of Illinois, as I already mentioned, and that's yeah. where we did our training. But you are originally from um, the DR Congo. So since this show is about transnationalism, can you explain, like, what was that experience like? Because I think you, you compared to me, I came to the um, to the United States at a younger age, but you came a little right. bit when you were older. So, what was that experience for you? You know, traveling and migrating from from your old country, your home country, to the United States. What was that experience for you? I mean, it, it was challenging, honestly uh, speaking. So, uh, coming at the older age, you know, you have to learn the language. You you have to uh, try to understand also the culture, and um, you, you it wasn't easy, you know. And but I, I really work hard to uh, make myself understandable when I speak English. And uh, from that, then trying to understand the, the, the culture and, and, and everything. But, but, but other than that, I would say it's a, it's a great experience, you know, to uh, trying to uh, learn other people's cultures and to understand it. I think it's, a, it's an amazing experience. And in, in, your, in your country, in Congo, the the primary language there is what is it French or is it what what is the primary language vernacular in your country? The the, the primary language is French, but right. besides French, we, we we have so so many languages, but we we we, we have another uh, what is considered as one of the main language besides French, which is called Lingala, mm -hmm. and uh, that's uh, that language is spoken in in. Because uh, I forgot to say that in the introduction, we, we have two two different countries named Congo. We have the democratic the Democratic Republic of of the Congo. Mm -hmm. We also have the Republic of Congo. It's next to each other, and uh, the, the the Lingala one it is spoken in both countries actually. Oh, okay. so that's yeah yeah that, that's uh, pretty much it when it comes to uh, to language. So like so you know be, me being from uh, English speaking or what we call an anglophonic country like Nigeria or Ghana, you know it, one of the things that I always try to keep in mind is that you know, coming to America, it was so easy for me to be able to acculturate and even assimilate because I spoke English pretty well. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the American English; it was more so British English. Uh, but there's such a huge similarity. There's, there's so, you know, they resemble each other so well, give or take a couple of spellings. But for you coming from a French-speaking African country, like, what was the most difficult thing about that? Was it language barrier or just understanding what was the most in impactful aspect of your acculturation process? You know, the most difficult things, I will say right away, is the language barrier. You know, when you get at the airport, you you don't understand the the the, 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 the even the, the accents of American uh, people. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges. You, you have to adapt yourself to be able to uh, uh, understand the, the the accents in order for you to start understanding even what uh, Americans are talking about. So that was one of the the, the, the challenge. But once you got that, uh, it's pretty much it became easy for you to to start understanding now the culture. Because to me, 
to being acculturated, there is a first step for people like uh, coming in non-speaking English country. The first step is, first of all, to understand the language. Yeah. Once you got the language, then you can start understanding now the culture. So we, we pretty much have like uh, double challenges. Mm. You know, I'm speaking about, you know, people who come from a non-English speaking country. So right. first of all, understand the language. After that, start understanding the culture. And it will depend on whether or not you decided to embrace the, the American culture or you decided to keep your own culture. So that's, uh, yeah. So when we talk about keeping your own culture, you just kind of helped me segue into the next point. So when we come to that whole transnational idea, it seems like, Obviously, we know what it is and as far as maintaining your culture and staying um, you know, connected to your land. How do you create your own transnational identities and practices? What do you do to keep your culture or do you keep your culture? Yes, I do. I do keep my culture. And uh, you can tell from my, my, my heavy English accent that I, I keep <laughs> my culture. So, uh, yes, um, to me, the way I, 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 I maintain it is when I am around my American friends, I uh, pretty much understand everything they do. I, I try to uh, identify myself as one of them. But when I am in my uh, with uh, Congolese people, I also I pretty much play like double game, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a positive way. Yeah. When I am with American folks, I try to act like them, at least you know, in acting, but not in talking mm. but when i am with uh congolese people french speak uh, uh, speakers i'm trying to identify myself as one of them as well so that, that that's really helped me to um assimilate and even uh, acculturated to the american culture and to uh keep my own culture as well so do you have any connections to family members do you travel back to congo or do you stay like what else do you do or is that yeah. Yes, yes, I do. I do maintain connection with my friends. When 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 you check, for example, my my WhatsApp uh, friend list, you, you'll see a lot of my friends are from the Congo, and we still talk to each other regularly. So I I, I connect with them, you know, through uh, different social medias, and we we, uh, we 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 talk once in a while, and uh, I, I do travel as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even, I mean, I, I even know what's going on in terms of political situation in the Congo, even though I'm not there physically, but I have pretty much an idea of what's going on right now there. Yeah. And, and you know what's so interesting about this transnational life we live is that we, you know, we're so involved and so preoccupied with things that are going on in, in our native homeland that sometimes the things that are happening here in the United States almost seem secondary. It's like right. it's like even though we're here in the U.S., a lot of those issues, like in the news or things that we see, tend to not really matter to us as much because the things that are really going on in our native homeland tend to affect us a little bit more because we have you know our roots there, our direct fa- immediate family members are there, so the impact feels a little stronger. You know, is that? I mean, that's how I feel. I don't know about you, but. No, it's it's exactly right, and uh, I even uh, have like a specific example with the Congolese uh, 
diaspora mm-hmm. in in uh, in Europe. I mean, they had played a significant role when it comes to uh, because Congolese just had uh, their last election in the December of 2018. Mm-hmm. So the the people from uh, Europe, Congolese from Europe, and all over the place. They, they they really played a significant role in terms of making sure that all politicians know that uh, they didn't like the, the former president, who, his name is Joseph Kabila, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they, they just made sure, you know, pe- people don't like him and all of that. So to me, I feel like the, the, the diaspora is, uh, even though they live overseas, but they still maintain and even play a significant role in their uh, the economy or the political situation of their country from their the country of origin, and uh, for, for, for when I talk about the economic situation, you know those sending remittances uh, regularly, mm-hmm. and it, 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 which play a major role in improving the lives of certain people overseas. So I, it, it is really true that. People, immigrants who live in other country overseas, they still play a major role in uh, for their country of origin. And I and I and I, and I like the fact that you brought up the the European aspect of it too. I think sometimes we 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 always have this because we're in America. We always talk about you know the American African interaction, or maybe in the diaspora and the in the islands. But I I come to realize that from other conversations that. We, there's so many of us, and I'm sure you and I, we all have relatives in like in Europe, in European countries like London or Germany or Belgium or wherever. And, you know, we have family members all over the world that have migrated to different places that are living their lives. But no matter what, we're still involved heavily in our political, you know, aspects of our native countries and even to the point where we can influence change despite the fact that we're so far away. It's crazy. Right. That's true. That That's absolutely true. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not only, you know, uh, with the uh, Congolese people, but, but you see that, you know, when you, you try to look at uh, the situation from other countries, you, you, from a third world country, you, you see those specific examples of people who live uh, overseas plays a significant role as well uh, because of uh, the maintenance of the connection with the land of origin. I, I, I feel like it's played a major role. Yeah, yeah. So I'll shift gears a little bit because I think now that we've, talk, we've kind of established that transnational foundation, I kind of want to go back and, and, and talk about how you, being from a francophonic um, country, how you, you build community. Um, you know, hometown association for you might be a little bit different, or maybe they're similar. One of the things that I think about when we talk about hometown associations for the Nigerian community is the churches. So is that similar right. for you as well? Like, was there a lot of your connections um, built within the church, or were there other places where you all can can build community yes. and help? That's a, a, exactly the same. Uh, the 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 hometown association here is around built around churches, mm-hmm. and uh, but, but we still have you know some uh, people who have associate uh, some association outside the churches, mm-hmm. but most of them is uh, surrounded you know uh, around uh, churches where people can meet and help each other and making sure everybody uh, 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 you know people who need help they help them out and those kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And it seems like for for you, your community, there's a huge, a bigger need for the hometown associations um, to play their role because of the language barrier. I just feel like that plays a major role because there's not that much of a smooth transition. You need that community who of people who speak the same language as you to kind of help you get settled before you can tackle on that that task of having to deal with learning how to speak English and then understanding the slangs and all that. I just feel like from my experience, we didn't, we didn't, I didn't have to worry about that. The hometown association just kind of jumped in and tried to figure out America. But I feel like for French speaking Africans, you have to kind of learn how to, you know, you have to find people who also speak French or Lingala. And then, then you can kind of work through understanding how to speak English, but there's a more heavier need for, for language barrier, um, overcoming those barriers. Uh, that's true. That's that's true. The the, the thing of you know, I, I remember one of the the, the paper uh, I published about uh, uh, health insurance in the U.S. Uh, among I, I was it, it was a comparison uh, study. I was comparing health insurance among African immigrants and uh, uh, African Americans. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the challenge among uh, African Americans was that they. Have, have health insurance, but they don't know what type of health insurance they have because they they don't understand it. You know, this really uh, speaks to the, the 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 fact that language barrier is a problem, and also um, health uh, literature also health literacy. I'm sorry, is also a problem as well. You, you know, so uh, j- j- just like I said in the beginning, the major problem it is first of all start to understand the language, be able to communicate with people, to understand what they're trying to say. And after that, yes, you you, you can start to figure out the, the, the culture as well. So what do you think causes stress for you um, or people who, I, who I, are like you? What do you think causes stress for them? What do you think is a major stressor? Among uh, non, non-French speaking uh, people? Um, French speaking, yeah. Uh, among French-speaking people, I think first of all, ju- just like we we said it before, is language barrier. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's it is stressful, and uh, I, besides that, I think to uh, adapt to acculturate into the American uh, culture is also a little bit stressful because where we came from, we socialize differently mm-hmm. with uh, with people. So, uh, a specific example that I can give. There is no way you can live in a neighborhood in in Africa without knowing, without even talking to your neighbor. That's right. that's yeah. it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, you you feel like you are rejected, yeah. you know, if you act like that. Yeah. So we always socialize with the, the 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 neighbor. So that's one of the one of the elements that really uh, makes. People immigrate directly from uh, from African countries, such as the Congo, mm-hmm. who came here. They cannot even talk to their neighbor because you don't know who they are, and you feel like there is a disconnect. Uh, you disconnect be- between uh, you don't talk to your neighbor, so that's it creates a stressful event. And also, I, I believe sending remittances mm-hmm. can be another stressful factor because people back home feel like. People who immigrate here, they have reached the American dream, which is not always true, you know, and uh, people trying to 
ask for money every single time, I think it creates a stressful event, which in future can uh, expose people to uh, chronic diseases that uh, me and you, we know, you know, uh, stroke and, uh, I'm sorry, a high blood pressure, mm-hmm. which can lead to, to a stroke. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, and, and whether you speak English or you don't speak English or, or, or whatnot, I definitely think that that was something, if you remember what we did that when we did that pilot study in 2014, and that was that was one of the main things that was mentioned by participants is the fact that you don't in in America the neighbors don't interact with each other. Right. It's so independent of a culture where we as Africans, especially even when in our transnational state, we're very interdependent. We rely right. on that village feel, um, and, and 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 everyone knows each other. We all come together. We everyone's an auntie and uncle somewhere. Right. We're all related in some way or form, even if it's not biologically or genetically, but by, by just being from the same um, community or block, we're all family. And I think that's something that stresses them out when they come to the United States is that they they, they're all, they feel like they're on their own, which is why we have to rely right. on those hometown associations or other spaces where we can kind of continue to keep our culture. So then now, right. I'm curious to know, what was your experience when you came in, right? Like, what was the strangest mm-hmm. thing as far as like, what was the strangest part of the American culture that uh, that you observed? Like, what was strange to you? You mean the, the strangest thing? Yeah. What did you find strange or weird? Or different? Huh. I would not. I would not say weird per se, but I would say what was really interesting is uh, the fact that you know people don't socialize the the way uh, we used to socialize back home. You know, back home. I, I, I like one uh, concept that I found here in the U.S., you know, in some uh, residential uh, area where, where the, we have the, the people say uh, they have a, the neighbor watch, mm. you know. In in Africa, we, we don't say that, but we live it. Mm-hmm. We know it automatically. We, we don't say the neighbor is watching, you know, it's automatically I'm watching over my neighbor, making sure everybody's fine over there, you know, and uh, another, another aspect also in Africa, it's pretty, and basically, uh, I, I know it's, it's uh, you'll find if parents of uh, your friends is automatically your parents, yeah. you know, he can talk to you directly or he can even punish you when you do wrong. Yeah. And even even you even when your parents are aware of you know the punishment you had from a neighbor or whoever, they they they're not gonna go and fight that the person will punish you. They will sometimes punish you you uh, their own son. So this is this is just to say that I'm not encouraging all of that, but this is to show that the way we live as as a big family in 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 Africa. Uh, culture you know and I, I, that's one of the aspects and again i just want to emphasize i'm not pro you know punishment uh, uh, physical punishment and all of that but it's it's just a way to emphasize people really live in a community as uh, a one big family yeah, way, way to cover your behind, man. I see that. That's a good job. <laughs> but 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 um, no, that that's well said because it's true, and I think that that just plays a, a huge emphasis on that community feeling. And you know, the interesting part, and this is gonna kind of uh, this is kind of foreshadowing the question I'm about to ask you now. The conversation we'll switch to about um is just that a lot of the African Americans, especially in talking to you know my wife Wanda and and 
and just kind of talking to other people who um, live in the South, like in Georgia, or even when I was in Florida, there's still that feel, right? It's a little old school, but as far as that, it takes a village and that whole, you know, the, the block, you know, we all watched out for each other, but it seems like something that's not there anymore. And I wonder, mm-hmm. what, what was your experience as far as interacting with the African-American community? And how does that work from your own personal perspective, but also like among Congolese people? How do they feel about the African-American community overall? And the Honestly, I mean, to me, uh, I interact pretty well with African-American people. And uh, I feel like culturally speaking, we are the same you you can identify some elements that are uh the same from you know african uh, american and african people the way we live we we we're trying to to maintain the 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 uh, ec- the, 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 the 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 relationship within the family really really uh we maintain it pretty much the same way and uh, for example, during you know the family reunion, you, you see cousins, first degree cousin, and all of that coming. And uh, so, to me, it wasn't really hard to identify myself with uh, African American culture. And I, I think it's pretty much the same way with uh, Congolese immigrants uh, that, that that I know that they really don't have hard time to identify themselves with African Americans. That's really good um, because for me, it seems like not my own personal experience per se, but I always sense that there's a little bit of a, a divide between both groups. Um, and I wanted to know, why do you think that is? Maybe if y'all, if y'all in, in, in the Congolese community maybe not experience that, which is awesome, then what, why do you think there's that perception that there's a divide uh, between both groups? And you know, for those people who think that, that, that there is a divide, uh, I, I suspect that it will be only related to the fact that they don't speak English. You know, mm-hmm. specifically for people who come from non-English speaking country. Mm-hmm. And besides that, uh, there is there is pretty much some element, uh, you know, culturally speaking, that are identical. You know, and. Uh, Yes, so, so I, I I don't feel like there is a really big 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 difference, in, and uh, to to say that they don't connect each other, mm-hmm. no, I, I I don't feel uh, that way. That's good, and mm-hmm. so then I'll kind of shift off because the research that I'm currently working on, I think we talked about this a little bit off the air, was I'm currently working on a, a paper that observes the literature that's out there discussing the stress, um, the stressors and the coping strategies between um, African immigrants or just black immigrants in general, because it's also include, including the diaspora and the Caribbean immigrants and African-Americans, Native African-Americans um, and what the differences are. Um, and some of the things that we're finding out are very interesting because there are some similarities uh, as far as the coping strategies, right? And, and, and I find that to be very interesting because if the coping strategies and the behaviors and how we deal with stress seem to be very similar, whether it's, you know, religion, spirituality, um, you know, whatever type of activity that you behave or maybe relying on family support and interdependence, 
Um, I find it diff. I find it interesting that the, the the stressors are different, right? One is acculturated, and the other one is more racially um, infused and things of that nature. So uh, it's very interesting to see that you know, though, although pers- you know, in a general population wide, as far as the public opinion, there seems to be this perception that there is an African versus African American beef, but it seems to maybe be changing, which is which is really good. I agree. I agree. I mean, the, the stressors are different <laughs> because, you know, uh, I don't think African-Americans uh, have to worry about uh, sending remittances, mm-hmm. but African uh, people from immigrants uh, from Africa, they do. So the stressors are really different. But again, the coping mechanism are pretty similar uh, because, you know, African people, at least Congolese people, trying to rely also on religion and uh, to uh, friends and family to, to cope with their, their stress. So I, I, I agree with that. It's, it is true. So, bro, what do you think about African-Americans trying to connect back with Africa? Like, what do you think? What would you think if someone tried to, like, come back to Congo, even though they've never been there before and as an African-American? And like wants to establish, you know, connections there and reverse that transnational process. What, what are your thoughts about that? I think that that's one of the greatest idea uh, African immigrants can do. I mean, if they can afford it, because we know mm-hmm. how expensive it is to travel back in uh, yeah. Africa. Yeah. And it, it would, one of the reasons is to me, I think it's helping them to find their roots. Right. Yeah. Even though we know it's really hard, uh, there is pretty much no um, uh, relics that they can, uh, you know, that can help them to uh, find exactly when they came from in, in, in what part part of the country exactly or what tribe in Africa. Mm-hmm. But, but I feel like it's always a great idea if they can afford it to, uh, even though you, even when they can, even when they cannot afford it, but they can at least identify trying to learn some uh, African culture through immigrants like us who live here, who maintain, you know, the, those uh, African uh, culture here. They, they can try to understand uh, what's going on because at the end of the day, they came from there, yeah. you know, and I think it's just a great idea for those who feel like they want to go back to learn. Yes, please do so if you can afford it. If not, uh, you, you, I'm pretty sure they will uh, encounter, you know, a African guy here and mm-hmm. try to, to learn what, why you're doing this, why you're doing that and why you guys act this way. And uh, yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And so then I'll, I'll we're almost wrapping up. So there's a couple more questions <laughs> as far as. For now, for when we think about the second generation, so you have a family, you have children, and what are your visions or expectations, if you have any, as far as raising your kids who were born here, um, mm-hmm. and trying to still have that transnational, you know, element in, in in aspects in their lives to keep them connected to their roots. How how do you plan on keep keeping that going? Yeah, one of uh, I'll tell you one 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 funny thing. My my, my youngest one, uh, uh, not, not even my youngest one, but my first one. I'm sorry, he was uh, telling me, but you you telling us we are from the Congo, but we we were born here and we don't even know how to speak the language. Mm. How can we be from the Congo? I'm like, actually, yes, you are Americans, but originally your parents are from the Congo, so you you will 
when you grow up, I will start to bring you back to Congo to 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 understand the the, the culture. Even though you, you you're not gonna be able to to fully to fully speak the language if you're not interested, but at least I will expose you to the culture. So that way you know exactly that my parents came from this place, and this this is how uh, they, they, they do things uh, based on the culture and all of that. So, and I really, I think it's really important to, uh, for those of us who are having uh, kids here in the U.S., to always uh, show them that they are free, you know, to decide to decide to, to maintain the, the uh, uh, transnationalism connection and transnational connection with the, the, the country of uh, their parents, uh, where they came from. But also, it's always important to let them do it by themselves, not to really force them, oh, you have to be, you know, from my country of origin, or you have to be an American. Let them choose, yeah. but give them the opportunity to choose, you know. Man, that's really, that's dope. That's really deep, because you remember we talk about that, that term that I always bring up, reverse acculturation. You know, when we talk about how a child is born here um, in the U.S., but, you know, you know their, their environment and everything else that's around them is American. But in their household, you know, they are told, they are sometimes even forced to identify with a country and acculturate to a country and a lifestyle and a practice that, that they've never, to a country that they've never, ever been to, right? But you're told that you are Nigerian, you are Congolese, and you eat the food, you, you don't may not speak the language, but everything else as far as how you interact with your, your parents or grandparents and your relatives and your aunties and uncles, how you interact is all culturally rooted into a country they've never been to, but everything else around them is American. So there's that dual identity, that biculturalism that's going on. And it's just a fascinating thing. Um, I, yeah, so that's why I always, I, it's interesting to see that you're actually, you know, exercising that. Um, in your household, some way, some form, but the whole aspect of letting them choose, giving them that information, bro, I think that's powerful. Um, that's really, really rich. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you have to let them choose because you know, at the end of the day, it's their their lives, right? We 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 always there to to kind of help them, to show them this is the way I was born, this is my culture, and uh, this is the the, the 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 culture of the country where you, you 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 were born. So it's really up to you now to choose. You know, if you decided to 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 live like a Congolese man in the U.S., that's fine. If you decided to live like an American man in the U.S., that's fine. But the good thing about it is, at least you know that if if the you know your parents identify, uh, the, the, your parents come from somewhere. You know it exactly. You know the country. You know the tribe. You know all of that. Mm-hmm. Nothing is completely out of the blue. You know you, that, that that's uh, one of the the, the important elements. I think uh, as immigrant parents, you, we, we can teach our our, our uh, sons and daughters here. You know, the funny thing about it is that if you were to say that back a while back or in Africa, they'd say that you become Americanized. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you know, I told you, right? I mean, you know, to me, 
there is always good things in every good and bad things in every culture around the world, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is a, this is one of the positive things I, I like about uh, American culture. You know, giving people choice and let them choose. Yeah. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's real. That's that's real. So, all right. Um, before I let you go, what what so what what else is going on with you as far as the research goes? Um, what, what else do you want to you know? It's coming up. I know you got a big grant. You know, diversity supplement going on. And so, what what's what's big grant? Yeah, hey, you the big man, dog. You the big man, the NIH man. Uh, no, I, I, I'm doing a, a citywide uh, intervention uh, with uh, a researcher from Columbia University, and we're doing that at uh, Mount Vernon in New York. Okay. And uh, it's a campaign where we are helping people to identify stroke uh, symptoms and uh, also to call 911 when they witness uh, stroke uh uh, signs and symptoms. So it's a citywide uh, project that we're doing. Okay, man, that's fantastic, mm-hmm. and and I, that's a really big thing now, uh, especially the stroke epidemic. I know you you've published something as far as the uh, the stroke belt, but now we're doing something up here in New mm-hmm. York. Um, I mean, the city of New York in itself, in the state of New York, I should say, as far as their public health agenda has always been very strong. So. Uh, I'm super excited for you, man. And, you know, we still got a lot of work to do on our end, too. So don't forget about the transnational mission, man. We, uh, we exactly. still got to talk about <laughs> what happens to people who live in Africa who are impacted by that transnational family and how it plays a role with health. We still got a lot of other good stuff we got to do. So, you know, don't get that NIH money and forget about me, right? So just, just put that out there. <laughs> exactly, out there. bro. You, you know, I mean, I... We, we, we have to, with the growing immigrant population in the U.S., yes, there, something must be done to uh, make sure that immigrants who came healthy stay healthy uh, for a long period of time, Absolutely. you know. And uh, th- that's something I, I really uh, care about it. And I know you care about it as well, to make sure immigrants stay healthy. And not only immigrants, you know, to extend it to the American population population overall to make sure everybody are healthy and can be uh, can live a healthy life absolutely man so and that's a good way to end it i just want to thank you dr lunga shishwaka for taking the time to join me on this podcast show i could not introduce this podcast to the world and, and complete my first season without having you on it it would be a disservice it would be i would be remiss so I'm glad that you had the opportunity to join me, my brother. It's been, uh, I'm just very glad that this happened. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, uh, bro, Dr. Ibe Lambert. <laughs> bro, bro. <laughs> it, it was really a pleasure for having me on this show. And, and you know how much I admire you and uh, how much I, I, I appreciate the work you do. And uh, the best is, is yet to come. Yes, it is. And I forgot to, what's your, your Nigerian name is Tunde, right? We forgot, I forgot to, to let, <laughs> Baba Tunde, that's your, that's your Nigerian <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Oh, so for all my, for all my Niger, my Oga from Niger, remember, you have another Oga here. <laughs> yes, 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 we do. Man, thanks so much, bro. I appreciate it, man. Um, you have a good one. We'll talk again. Uh, all right, you too, and my regards to your family. Will do, bro. Bye-bye. 
that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. I want to thank you all for taking the time and listening to this show. I hope you all really enjoyed the interview. If you like what you heard and you'd like to continue to listen to more episodes, please feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. You can also email me at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore. All right. So thank you all again. We'll talk again soon. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. My black is transnational. It's English. But I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.